Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Transform TV podcast series. Today, we're going to be talking about women in STEM. And what better person really to have here for this podcast than Stephanie Holt, who is a women in STEM advocate. Uh, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us all the way from California. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, So I was in tech for almost 30 years. I grew up in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley, and so kind of came naturally. And throughout that time, I had a lot of great positions. I spent um, some time in Asia. I was an old manufacturing girl, so I was high tech when high tech was actually semiconductors and things like that. So it was a lot different than it is now. And um, it, uh, it's changed now, right? But, but I am an old product girl. And then, you know, when you live in the Bay Area, what happens over time or when you grew up there is people will start calling you to have coffee as you get farther in your career. Yeah. And that pretty much means they have a startup that they want you to come help with. And so I spent the last eight years of my career as the CFO of a FinTech startup. And then I retired um, in February of 2020 with 11 events on my calendar, including both of my daughter's weddings and my 30th anniversary. And then in March, COVID hit and all 11 were canceled. And so I, you know, people don't talk a lot about sort of you having a career that you're very focused on and then when you retire and what that means. So what that meant for me is I was going to be very busy and then I wasn't. So I started thinking about kind of what I wanted to do and decided to get active on LinkedIn and sort of just advocate for women in STEM. My last company, I was SEC regulated, so we were not able to sort of say anything for fear that it would shut our business down. And what I realized was I had thought over the 30 years things had gotten better. But what I realized was is sort of my last 10 or 15 years, I was in a position to help create culture. And for the women who still were not in that position, things were still really, really hard. Additionally, when I started looking at statistics, there are 7% of women in STEM executive leadership. And heads up everyone, we're 50% of the population, so that is not okay. That's a horrible number. I mean, we've been talking about uh, women in STEM for a long time, haven't we? It's it's obviously an ongoing thing. We've been talking oh, yeah. about establishing diverse workforces for quite a while. And, uh, you know, there, there's some progress. We're seeing women in supply chain, which is great. But there's a huge gap, isn't there, with women in leadership in these STEM uh, types of roles. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that there's a couple of things. I think that there's a million things, but the main ones are, I think, you know, there, there's this cliff, right? There's a cliff when you've been in the industry for five years and 15 years, and this is going to be a broad generalization and clearly it doesn't fit everyone, but just sort of timing wise, five years is sort of, you know, when you're thinking about settling down, having a family, doing any of this variety of things, that tech has been very difficult to navigate when you're doing that. 15 years are, is the women who have sort of persevered, gotten through those times, but are seeing that they're not getting promoted. And what happens is, is at 15 years, a lot of women's leave and either leave the workforce completely or they go and start their own companies. And there are a lot of people who think that that is a wonderful thing. 
I am in the minority. I actually hate that happening because what I believe is these are the women, these, these very motivated, technically strong women are the women that we need moving into the C-suite of the big companies. Because, you know, there's so much data on what a diverse leadership well, say. does. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, I don't even need to tell you the importance of that in terms of both revenue, um, decision-making, impact on the world. So while it is great that women are finding a way to get out of a bad situation, my dream is that the situation become better so women stay and really make a difference in these huge companies that are impacting almost every aspect of our life right now. So, I mean, clearly, I mean, there's a moral and business, uh, uh, I wouldn't say obligation, but moral and business case really to talk about bringing more diverse workforces and more women into these roles. But they're really, what I can't get to is why there's such a big gap between we're finally getting more women into these traditionally, you know, engineering STEM sort of backgrounds, but why are we not getting them to leadership positions? Is it something within the infrastructure of businesses, the culture? I think it must be. So one of the things that I think about a lot is sort of this path to leadership. So a lot of times you go into an organization and they have a very traditional path to leadership, which is you go in and you're technically proficient and then you manage that organization. And then you're pretty good at that. And then you manage that organization. And so you move up as a very stair step moving up. And, and that's kind of the way it's always been. What is not taken into account is any sort of non-traditional career path. So if you left after 10 years and you said, okay, I'm going to stay home for three years with my kids, you're almost treated as if you've forgotten everything you ever knew and you're starting again. Or even, you know, even when you're at that point where you're sort of director level, so maybe 20 years, and I'm talking about big corporations, but like, you know, 20 years into your career, maybe you decide, okay, my kids are grown and gone. I want to take a year and go help with the water situation in Africa, or I need to um, help with my aging parents. Any of those times that you get off that traditional path, people are not as willing to see you in a way that, that, that you're ready for leadership. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if things have not technically changed. It doesn't matter even if the same people are still in the organization. This stepping back or stepping away or even you know, working part-time or slowing down is still, you really, really are, it's, it's against you. If you do that, you're, you're, they really, really still are not able to see that you have made your way up that path in a way that you are worthy of leadership. I, lo I love what you just said there about uh, traditional metrics being applied to non-traditional um, career paths. And uh, more importantly, what really struck home was the fact that you go off and you have a baby or you go and take care of aging parents, which a lot of the burden of these things fall on women more than they do on men. You don't all of a sudden get amnesia and forget an entire degree or forget an entire lifetime of experience, but yet it's that thinking that is perhaps limiting women, right? And so let's, is there some work to be done to educate leaders on uh, the way to assess a career path outside of the norm? I mean, absolutely. There's absolutely work to be done. And it's, and it's interesting because, um, you know, 
people are starting to talk about it and, and talk about the importance of having a diverse leadership group. Um, and then they're coming back and they're saying, oh, but there's no, there's no pipeline. We don't have mm-hmm. anyone because they've already run everybody out. So, you know, I do, th- I do think representation is incredibly important, but it's difficult to make that happen because, you know, I know I tell a story where, you know, I was the only woman at the table and it was a little bit like musical chairs. So for men, you know, there's eight seats and there's eight men and the music starts and they go around and they go around and they go around, the music stops. There's a seat for everyone. For women, oftentimes you need one woman to check the box, right? You check the mm-hmm. box that you have a woman on your, on your staff. And so there's eight women, there's one chair. You go around and around and around, the music stops and you are literally elbowing each other out of the way mm-hmm. to get that chair. So I still think that there's a lot of this idea that there's only room for one of us. And, you know, and, and it doesn't start that far into your career. I mean, maybe it starts at sort of the senior manager level where you're seeing less and less and less women. And so I, I think representation is incredibly important. And I think having leaders who not just talk about the importance of diversity, but actually understand the importance of diversity, both to you know, it just being the right thing to do and the importance to their bottom line. Not just in diversity, but the inclusion side of things. It's all well and good, right, to hire people. But, you know, if you can't get them to participate and actually create an environment that's going to allow people to fail, to thrive, to work outside of normal parameters like you talk about, then we're always going to be faced with this. Um, I mean, how let's talk about COVID for a second, because sure. the, surely there's been an impact um, you know, I felt it. I'm sure you felt it too. You know, we, again, going back to women tend to have more of a role in um, uh, taking on the burden or shouldering the burden of uh, house care, you know, care for elderly parents, care for children, care for whatever it is, dogs, you know, you name it. COVID has certainly shown us, well, we've, we're looking into people's houses. We're seeing into people's houses, you know, so how do women balance out uh I guess, no, let me ask this question again. It's not about how do women balance out. Now that we've seen what women are doing, balancing or or, or juggling all of these Right, juggling chainsaws, right, right. Exactly. Do you think that there's an opportunity now for people to realize, you know, during, because COVID did that, that, wow, there's a lot of things on people's plates right now. And so therefore, you know, creating an environment that helps people manage that way. So... I have, I absolutely have thoughts on this, but one is, you know, so, you know, one of my daughters recently got married and it's interesting the way she approaches marriage, maybe versus the way I approached marriage. Her expectation is different maybe than my expectation was and, and some other people's expectation was. And I know, you know, I, I, I'm involved in industry 4.0 and there is, there is discussion around things that are also not specifically the workplace. There is discussion around sort of the expectations at home and and why it is that the, like we sort of always knew that these burdens fell to women. But now to your point, now that everything, we're seeing into people's homes and people are starting to talk about it. I do think it starts at home. I do think it starts with the expectation of what's happening at home. I do think that, you know, as women, we are often raising husbands. We are often raising fathers. And part of that is not just thinking about it as a workplace issue, 
though it certainly is. But I do think that that, you know, there's a lot of things with COVID that have happened in the workplace. And, and one of the ones is that, and sometimes I, I walk a little bit of a tightrope, right? Because I'm a woman who's been up through tech, which really hard, but I've also been a founder. And, you know, I, I know during COVID, when we talk to people about what they need, a lot of times the answer is flexibility. Mm-hmm. Flexibility is very hard to take action on. What, what we need to know for ourselves is, hey, you know what? I need no meetings on Fridays or I need you know, the, the hour between 11 and one while my kids are home so I can make lunch. I need that. I think that we also need to be very specific about what it is we need. And, and I think that most employers are willing to do it, but just to say like, hey, I need flexibility is really, really hard as an employer who is trying to stay in business to do. So I think, I think what the, one of the things we need to do is just really be, know what we need for ourselves. I think know what we need for ourselves, talk about it, you know, right. voice it, explain it, but then equally have a receptive ear uh, to it because it's all well and good that we say it, right? right? If no one's listening or creating that environment. But I will, what do you, what do you think of this? I think COVID has finally opened us up to the possibilities that flexibility does work that it isn't just this sort of way to work, right? If I mean, I think about if I had asked any supply chain leader that I know a year and a half ago, hey, do you think you could work from home for the next three months, six months, a year? They would have laughed in our faces, right? They would have said impossible, no way. Yet we've shown it's possible. It's not ideal. We know that. We've had to flex. We've had to move. We've had to you know, work out certain things in order to make things happen. But doesn't COVID now give us the opportunity to, sh- to demonstrate that flexibility is actually possible? So isn't this oh, without, great Without for us? question. Yeah, without question. I mean, it, it, and to your point, you know, when I was in manufacturing, I, my, my supply chain people are my favorite people in the world, right? So when you talk about, it used to be like, oh, it's for procurement, for example. Oh, we really need to be in person to have this negotiation because I can negotiate better in person. False, right? That's been, that has been proven false. Um, you know, line manufacturing is different. A lot of, you know, a, a lot of particularly electronics, right? You're there in a bunny suit and whatever. But I also think that those organizations that have had, to, that manufacturing has been essential and had to come in, they've made changes too to make it work. So maybe they're doing a 410 or even yeah. a 312. So people are not having to come in and out as often. And that is also working. So without question, I think that COVID has been great to show what can be done and you know where it where it can be done i do feel like and this is just me and i have this conversation a lot i miss seeing people so i do feel like there is some sort of a hybrid whether it's you get your team together once a quarter or you know something like that that i do think will be beneficial but absolutely there's almost no jobs particularly with the ability to have your computer really secure from home now mm-hmm. there's almost nothing that can't be done not altogether well, the fact that we're even having the conversation of it as a, as a possibility is important i think it bodes well for women in these roles to see that you can juggle the chainsaws and if you ask for flexibility and are getting flexibility and it, it can happen um so let's 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 now move a little bit to leadership okay so we've talked about how there's not a lot of women from stem backgrounds in leadership and why we think that is what does a leader need to have in order to create better leaders 
So I feel like we're all already leaders. I feel, and, and that sounds a little Pollyanna, but, but I really do believe that. I do believe that skills are transferable. So if you are a mom and you can convince your two-year-old to eat their peas, right? You can certainly handle a board meeting. Or if you are, you know, if you're, if you're the cruise director of your friend group, so everyone comes to you for, okay, what are we gonna do Friday night? You are a, already a leader. So I really believe that it's just transferring these skills because of course everything is, has a baseline of technical knowledge, right? You have to be good technically to, in whatever field you're in, to even be considered for leadership. And I do think there's some people that are like, oh, you know, I'm not becoming a leader because I'm a woman. And sometimes it's, you're not becoming a leader because you're not that good at your job. So that's mm -hmm. a distinction too. But I, I just, I feel like leadership is not that hard. I feel like that leadership is one of these things where it's been sort of weaponized where, oh, you're not ready to be a leader. Of course, you're ready to be a leader. You're already a leader in aspects of your life. So, you know, I, I think it's just, it's being seen and being heard. People might have a little bit of work to do there just to, you know, find out tips and tricks on how to do it or being confident. There's nothing that I hate more than the idea of imposter syndrome because yeah. one, because it's called a syndrome because so it means like it feels insurmountable. Yeah. But, and people argue with me about this all the time, but for me, I feel like it's just like a crisis of confidence. You're not confident in that area yet. So what do you as an individual need to do or do you need from someone else to get more confident there? And sometimes it's just doing it. And sometimes it's admitting, I'm not that confident here. Can you help me? Yeah, I mean, you're, what you're talking about to some degree is a bit of a growth mindset, right? Is, is understanding that you're gonna have to put some work in to acquire a skill that you don't already have. It's not a reflection of you as an individual, you know, that you don't have it. It just is, you're just not there yet. Uh, but okay, so let's talk about women leaders. You know, those of us that have been fortunate to be in positions of leadership, of employing other people, what can we do uh, to help promote more women into um, senior leadership positions? So I think that we need to be mindful, number one, obviously about doing that. But I think that we need to, we need, we need to be great at our jobs to get everyone on board, right? If you are the single woman leader in an organization and you are not doing a good job, whether, whether it makes sense to say, oh, she's not good because she's a woman, that's the optics, right? So you need, so you need to be great at your job. You need to be I love women mentoring men, mm -hmm. both up and down. And you need to be making it very clear that within your organization, there should be no differentiation. And my favorite topic is you need to pay your women fairly. Mm -hmm. and, you, and you need to let everyone within your organization know that that is what you are going to do. So men also understand, hey, from, from the, the point of view of, oh, if this person's making $100,000 and this person's making $125,000, often in your mind, you think the $125,000 person is worth more. That is mm -hmm. not always the case, right? Potentially they negotiated more for whatever reason. You need to pay people that are doing the same job when they're coming in the same amount of money. And of course, you know what? I, merit increases, whatever, that's fine. I, I'm not saying everybody needs to be at the same salary forever. But I do believe that people that are coming in at the same job title 
should have the same starting salary. And there's several companies that are starting to do that, having no negotiation um, salaries, and I love it. What about the gender biases? Sometimes I think even women are pretty are worse at bias than, than men are. What so, are your thoughts on that? Yeah, there is definitely some woman-on-woman crime going on. Mm-hmm. And I do think, and I, and I frankly think that, that a lot of that is women sort of, you know, I'm 55, sort of my age who have had to fight so hard to get there and have always felt like, you know, I mean, I tell a story that's actually humiliating to me. I was in an organization, I think I was about 40 years old. I was in an organization and I was the only woman and another woman came in. And I literally remember when they came in and introduced her, I could feel her breathing down my neck, right? She was nowhere near me, but that was the way that I felt. And I, was horrible to her. And when I look at that in retrospect, like, what was I doing, right? Had I made her an ally, had I supported her and helped her, you know, then there would have been two of us. But Mm -hmm. I was so afraid that she was coming in to replace me because I had never seen that at that level where there were two women. Well, because we've grown up in a hostile environment where we've had to claw and scrape every inch of territory that we've gained. Uh, and, and so maybe part of it that is for women leadership, because let's be honest, women that are in leadership positions are of a certain age now. So sure. we've also have a different background, right? Than, than the women coming up behind us. Uh, and we've had to struggle and not saying our struggles worse or harder or whatever, which is different struggle. Yeah. Um, but maybe the role here is for women in leadership positions to understand that there will be more power in empowering uh, than in, in resisting. Right. And so I think that I think that's an important point to make. And when we talk about women in leadership positions, we set, tend to focus a lot on the male role and what men need to be doing and should be doing. And, and, and rightly so, because they outnumber us in, 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 in senior positions. But, um, but I think we shouldn't forget about the role that women play uh, as well in, in mentoring, empowering, et cetera. Um, I think, what would be your advice for um, people that are looking to get into supply chain right now, into manufacturing, into technology, into these really exciting positions right now that perhaps have been perceived negatively in the past as being sort of warehousey, back officey, you know. So, what advice would you give to them to a get into these really exciting positions, but b to be able to carve a role for themselves in leadership? Sure. Well, first of all, I would say, you know, who even knows how many positions that entails at this point? I mean, things are so exciting right now. Things are so interesting, and you know, you can go into supply chain in particular with so many different backgrounds, right? I love the fact sometimes they're requiring, you know, uh, STEM degrees if you're maybe going into specific manufacturing, but you can go into accounting, you can have a background, I mean, you can have your MBA, you can have so many different backgrounds and it's fascinating work. And I think that what has happened is like logistics, for example, first of all, I think it's always kind of a mystery. (laughs) But it always feels like, like, oh, I'm in logistics because nobody really knows what that means. In where we are right now, logistics is actually fascinating, right? To well, be able look to look at it, COVID, COVID has put it on the map. COVID yes, has put it on the map. But even before that, the, as the world gets smaller, right? Procurement and logistics are fascinating areas to be in. So, you know, I, I think that that one of the things 
is, is really outreach from companies, like explaining what things are. Like how often do you hear someone who's like, oh, you know, I want to go into logistics? Not very often. But once they get there, they stay there because they love it. So I think that that's important. And the other thing is, you know, I talk to people, they're like, oh, I want to get into tech, but, but I, I don't have the background. Tech is a big field. There is almost no company that you can go to at this point that there is not tech involved. So if you're interested in tech, but maybe not quite in, in terms of your skills, you're not quite ready, or, or maybe more importantly, you don't really know what you need, mm. get, in, get into a company doing something that you can get in with and then prove yourself and move around, right? Companies love to promote internally yeah. for the most part. Some do, um, you know, so, so those are the kind of things that you can get and learn. I don't think that people, I think the most important thing is that you don't exclude yourself. Yeah. You, I mean, even when we just talk about, you know, women applying for jobs, right? They wait till they have 84% of the skills to apply, whereas men apply at like 20%. Don't exclude yourself. Let someone else tell you that, yeah, that's not the right thing, that you don't have the skills that they need. Don't say, oh gosh, I don't have the skills because you yeah. never know yeah. what's going to happen. And, and, you know, um, the other thing I was going to say is look for each other, you know, uh, reach out to people because there are a lot of people that are there and want to want to help. Right. No, that's, that's absolutely true. I, um, I really, really think a community of women is important to have for everyone to have a community of women around them that yeah. are both behind them in their careers and ahead of them in their careers that are at different companies that are in different specialties that are in different ages. I do not love this current trend of like paying for your community, but I do think that like LinkedIn and Clubhouse, there are places where you can get a community of women that will be supportive of you. I talk a lot about um, pay transparency and mm -hmm. that women and men should be telling each other their salaries. Yeah. And people- it's a right. sensitive thing. It's, it's, a sensitive, it's touchy for some people. Yeah. It's touchy for some people. And I literally scream it from the rooftops whenever I have the opportunity because, you know, I, I actually, I posted about it yesterday and somebody commented and they said, oh, Citibank, which I understand is not tech, but Citibank has, has been the first major bank to say what the pay gap is. And in whatever, 2017, it was 74%. And in 2020, it was 72%. So we're making progress. And I literally was like, what are you talking? That is not progress. They know they have this problem. And, and they've saying, known for years now. And yeah. they've known for years now, for some reason, they've had to tell people out loud. And they're saying, okay, at, if we do 1% per year, we're doing okay. First of all, I'm too old to live to see that happen. Yeah, our grandchildren will be able to get some sort right. of pay equity. But, right. but people know. talking about it and um yeah and we and, perpetuate and women. yeah yeah we could we, we perpetuate the secrecy that uh that that uh, yeah enables this um i think i you know i really think that right now that it's an exciting time to be in tech an exciting time to be in supply chain and i think you're absolutely right with the advice that you give um what are the reasons you think why uh, girls are not necessarily attracted to uh, or not encouraged probably is the better word to go into STEM as subject matters in school, subject matter in schools. And can we do more so, to do that, to help? Well, 
I, I, absolutely we can do more. And I, and I do feel, you know, so I kind of focus on the end of women's career and I do mm -hmm. feel like that there is a lot of people that are focusing on STEM programs within, you know, even elementary school and, and getting women started. But I also think that this is a knowledge thing. So when people think, oh, I don't want to go into STEM because it's engineering. Like what about the chemists that create cosmetics? What about all of these other things that are STEM that no one is saying to women or boys and girls both at a young age, hey, you could do this. You know, even, even with boys and girls both, you know, there's these amazing college racing teams now, right, where they're making their cars and they're doing these things that are really, really specialized. So they're great for jobs later, but also so interesting robotics, these kind of things, which you know, yeah. we didn't have, it yeah. used to be like, okay, are you yeah. gonna be a hardware engineer or a software engineer? Like what are, yeah. what are the two choices? So I do think that there is this whole world of things that feel interesting already to, to sort of historically, I guess, to women and girls that have some tech aspect to, that's just not talked about. Yeah. So I think that's important. Well, I think, I, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think you're absolutely right. Well, what I've taken away from this certainly is the fact that we really have to do a better job at trying to get women in, you know, it's all well and good, the diversity, but we need the inclusion part. We need the, you know, executive leadership part of women that seems to and the pay equity. These are the things that seem to be still out of our grasp. Uh, so I think the more responsibility we take to highlight stories as well and speak to people like you, Stephanie, to make sure that we're putting this as a priority agenda topic, the better. So I want to thank you for, for being here. I want to thank you for being part of this. And, and, and also, I'm sure we'll have you again. Well, thank, I, I hope our paths cross again. I love everything that you're doing, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. For those of you watching at home or listening at home, we'll see you again at the next one. Thank you so much. Thank you.